On this episode of Come Pray With Me, I interview fellow podcaster Avtar Singh from The Seat Coach. The Seat Coach is a podcast that goes over information on the Sikh faith, but also gives advice on current events and relevant social issues. Today, Mr. Singh will be sharing his journey into how he started his podcast and the things he's learned along the way. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be our guest on the show today, Mr. Singh. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. No, glad to be here. Thank you for reaching out, giving me this opportunity to be on the podcast. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to meet you. So my first question is, what was it that inspired you to create your podcast? Um, so for me, I, um, part of what I kind of resonate with is giving back to society, giving back to others. It's quite like a firm pillar in our uh, faith of Sikhism. So it's um, a concept of seva, which is almost a service to humanity. And um, that can be done in a number of ways. Typically what we do in the Sikh um, faith is we, we feed everybody. We like to really have you know, 24 seven sort of food um, in our gurdwaras where we, where we worship and congregate. Um, so the aspect is really, really fully embedded in everything that we do. So for me as a, so I'm a qualified accountant in, in my professional career. Um, and prior to setting up the podcast, I set up an online presence to help budding accountants get through their exams because I figured out the difficult way and thought, right, I can give this privilege back to, to budding accountants and help them with their exam strategy and stuff. So I always wanted to do something in the community space. So um, one, um, two Christmases ago, I think maybe, yeah, two Christmases ago, I had two weeks off work and I was like, right, I'm going to create a podcast and I wanted to create an avenue where people could listen to long form conversations and really learn from people and experts in their field, but also organizations that were doing something good for social change and society, especially working on key community issues in the South Asian space. So yeah, I'm a bit of a, a, bit of a techie. I, I would say I'm a techie first and a finance person. So it was much easier for me to set up the podcast and do all the, the stuff in the background. I was just surprised um, how open people were to sort of have conversations and um, their willingness to sort of share. And um, yes, and, and, I, and I really enjoy it. It's just a, it's a great thing I like to, to look forward to doing in my sort of time, really. And um, the more I do it, the better, better I get at interviewing. But yeah, kind of one person then recommends another person. And then I create this network. I can reach out to people and help people in a different way through that network as well. That's fascinating. So in Sikhism, they've had several gurus over its existence, like uh, Guru Nanak or Guru Gobind Singh. Are there any gurus that have influenced your faith the most? And why is that? So I guess the, the, the context of the number of gurus, we have, we have, 10, we have 10 physical um, human gurus. And it started off with Guru Nanak, who was the founder. And then there were such nine gurus that... that sort of baton was passed on to and um, they kind of progressed the faith and they're adapting to the environments that they were facing and sort of took that growth um, of the faith uh, with each sort of um, passing on from the gurus. So I think th the one key thing is there may be 10 gurus, but we as Sikhs see it as the same light within all of them, that they were the manifestation of um, one guru, Guru Nanak, and that light traveled within 10 different beings from, from him um, going onwards. So we all, yeah, so we see that as a consistent thing, but we do have tendencies to 
resonate with a few gurus and their life um, lessons and experiences that they've, they've gone through. And I think a really interesting fact um, to share um, about the founder of, of, of the, the Sikh faith was that he is the second most traveled person in the whole world. So he traveled more than, I think, 28,000 kilometers um, across five major world tours to sort of spread this message of Sikhi, which is about bringing people back to the core roots of, you know, goodness and being honest and, and doing things thoughtfully rather than like what, what he experienced was that the two major faiths were at the time in the area of Hinduism and Islam. And he found most of, because they've been around for a long time, most of the, the practices were just becoming routine and became ritualistic. And as human nature is, we divide, um, we have divisions and we start to take different tangents on, on the teachings as, as the time goes past from the founders. They, there was a lot of discrimination, classism and gender inequality in India, especially. Um, so what he wanted to do was spread that message of equality um, and equalness between all humans and the message of goodness to go and help another person and stand up even if it means putting yourself in danger and standing up for something else right so for me Kuranik stands out um, quite a lot because of the hard work and having traveled on foot so much for so long having to leave his family but for the bigger purpose of creating this world movement um, of Sikhs and the meaning of Sikh is actually student student of truth so before things became a formalized religion, it was mainly a, a way of life, really. And to, to date, the Sikh teachings are pretty much universal. And it's a way of life that anybody can incorporate into their, into their life um, to improve themselves and become that positive sort of force. Um, and there's you know, a number of other gurus. There's a lot. I mean, we've uh, even had two gurus who were tortured and killed for standing up for righteousness. So... The Sikh history, even though we're not such an old religion in comparison to the established ones, there's a lot of rich history there of sacrifice, of standing up for right purposes, making difficult decisions and being resilient. So for me, as a Sikh, this is what I try to incorporate into my life and sort of my evolution of this life and learning and bringing that into my actions, really. Absolutely. So that ties right into my next question, which is, Historically, the Sikhi are known for having a very strong sense of justice. Like uh, you mentioned the Langar service, which gives food to people in need, but it also directly protests caste-based discrimination by having everybody sit down together to share food. And then there's um, one of my other guests, the nonprofit, the Sikh Coalition, which is based in the US and they protect religious freedom and fight hate crimes. And your podcast itself tackles a lot of major issues like mental health, domestic violence, uh, racism. And uh, what aspects of Sikhism do you think have contributed to this historic uh, sense of justice, you know, this rich history? I think, again, it's, um, it's not only just the Sikh teachings that we refer to, which um, explain to us, like, uh, our, so after the ten gurus, uh, the scriptures were evolved through those uh, through the ten gurus, and there are a collation of not just work by Sikh gurus, but from a wider space, from different people, different faiths, 
and different backgrounds, different castes. So it was an inclusive um, scripture um, with a key message. And it was also bringing in messages before Guru Nanak um, by other saints um, and combining that into a volume called the Guru Granth Sahib Ji, which is our present Guru. So we get guidance from that. And, and that in itself um, refers to metaphor stories and coming from a sort of East, uh, sort of the Eastern culture is very dependent on stories. Um, and this is what resonates with us. The scriptures themselves are, are meant to be sung in different musical measures. So they, they align to the message. And some of these are quite energetic, powerful um, sort of rhythms that talk about justice and sort of truth prevailing over sort of the, the opposition of evil and, and things like that. So I think there's a rich embedded daily, monthly, yearly culture where certain events, certain scriptures are sung and people are reminded of the sacrifices that the gurus made and others as well. Um, and that gives us a sense of, of living for a, a purpose beyond ourselves. And um, we've seen time and time again that there's been a lot of sacrifices in, in the Sikh community and the gurus themselves. And in you know our participation in the World War One and Two, we 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 um, contributed very much for for a minority. Um, so I think that is always embedded in everything we do. And the, the purpose of the journey of for a Sikh is to continue to learn and reflect and fight the injustices in all aspects. So whether that's to do with poverty alleviation, whether that's standing up for somebody's rights, you know, in, back in the day, we, we the emphasis was to protect other communities and if that meant we had to go to war we went to war um, and that was physical contact so there was an emphasis on martial arts and being um, a, an aspect of a saint soldier uh, which was a key thing which is the Khalsa which I think we'll, we'll probably touch on a bit later but the premise of that was already from day one Guru Nanak stood up and talked out aloud against the, the barbarianism that was happening by the current king at that time and they were just killing and, and looting and, 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 and raping. And he was boldly talking out against that. Whereas at that time, you could just be killed for talking out. So from the first guru to the 10th, uh, we've had exemplar um, examples of um, standing up for rights and living a purposeful life beyond your own and then contributing contributing to the betterment of others. And, and the ninth guru themselves was killed for standing up for Kashmiri pundits who reached out to him um, because they were being forced to convert their faith and not practice their existing faith. And then he stood up and went to visit the king and got tortured and, and killed for that as well. So one of your episodes talks about Khalsa spirit. So could you tell us a little bit more about the Khalsa Brotherhood and what that means to you? Things evolve and change and words mean different things. Um, I think especially in today's world, like saying brotherhood almost feels like it's just for the men <laughs> or the brothers. <laughs> but um, I think we just haven't found the right word that actually <clears throat> makes it more of like a, you know, a group of people or social movement as such, which is what the Khalsa is. So we found after Guru Arjun was killed and tortured, um, by the by, the then king for not um, accepting to change the scriptures because they weren't agreeing with certain parts of it, which referred to Islam, um, and then that was the first time Sikhs had somebody who was their guru and they'd been killed. 
prior to that, it was a very peaceful movement. That they weren't armed, there was any martial um, need for that part. The sixth guru, then Guru Hargobin, set up um, to change that because he realized that the environment was very hostile, that the Sikhs would not survive, and we would not be able to help others either if we were not stronger ourselves. So then he called for horses, weapons, rather than money, and they established an army and a martial arts present, martial presence for the, the Sikh community. And we then stood the ground because we had, uh, we were equipped to do so, but with the spiritual foundation that what actions we're taking is for the betterment of others in society. Um, and that kind of progressed and kept going, but what Guru Gorman Singh Ji did, our 10th Guru, after his father was killed for those reasons mentioned earlier, he realized there needs to be something more formal than that. And then he created on um, Vasaki, which is coming up next week, actually. So 14th of April was a very special day for Sikhs because that's when the Khalsa Brotherhood was established. Um, it was a day in India when he called for a mass gathering and he asked for, he asked for a head. And you know, that meant somebody giving his life for him. And, but it was a test. And so he, he got five volunteers and they stood up and said, I'm ready to give my head. Took him into a tent and people thought that they were beheaded and stuff like that. But it was a test to show how brave the Sikhs were. And so those five were called the five beloved. And they were the first ones to, be, to become Khalsa. Because in that tent, he put a uniform on them. They were in turbans. They were armed. And they had to wear the five Ks, which was a five um, sort of identifying factors for Sikhs to be called Khalsa. And he mandated them to live according to very high principles and underpinned by the Sikh scriptures. And so that became the formalization of that soldier uh, appearance. And it was almost like any other uniform you get. A policeman wears a uniform, they're held to a certain regard. They have to follow a certain level of rules. And society knows that that's a policeman. So society then knew that this is a Khalsa. I can go to them and I can, I can spot them from a crowd of 100,000 people. And I know that I can depend on them. They will stand up for me and they will try, do their utmost best to help me. So there became this responsibility that the Khalsa then owned to live to a high moral standard, to live a very humble life, a very simple life, full of virtues and looking to improve yourself constantly in helping others and being ready to give your life for a just cause. So that Khalsa Brotherhood almost, you know, underpins a lot of these things that we do in today's society as Sikhs. Not everybody is a, a baptized Sikh and that's not the, the, the premise is that still we celebrate the Khalsa, we celebrate the reason for it and we practice it in way or form in today's world. Absolutely. And that definitely reminds me of the whole idea behind Kirpan, because a lot of people see that and they're just like, oh, oh, it's a dagger. And they think you go around stabbing people like you're Michael Myers or something. But someone told me that the um, Kirpan means mercy, but it's about being able to protect people who might not be able to um, protect themselves. And this is kind of a tangent, but there was a story that I like to tell people who get judgmental of the Sikhi for that. So um, this, this man was a friend of mine and he gave me a lot of advice when I was starting my show and he was also a Sikhi. And he told me the story about how um, this was a famous event in the US, but there was a man who went into a gudwara 
with a rifle and he started shooting at everybody. And his goal was to kill everyone inside the Gudwara and that included the elderly and the children. But the leader of the Gudwara went over to him and he pulled out his kirpan and he just repeatedly stabbed the shooter until he was dead. But unfortunately in the meaning of the fight, um, he had been shot several times. So both him and the shooter died. However, everybody else, save for um, three people who were shot when the shooter entered, survived. So he saved all those people by doing what he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are very unfortunate events. I remember when those happened quite vividly, actually. It sent kind of shockwaves through the whole community. And I think one of my close friends, um, he describes it as, you know, the Sikh faith looks, if you took a Sikh and looked at them, you would think it's very old school and historic and relic. Whereas actually the teachings are completely the opposite. They're really relevant. They're really positive. They're there um, to, to make you an upstanding citizen, a role model as such um, for anywhere that you represent in the world. And it's unfortunate that there's a mixed message that people judge by looking and misunderstand the Kirpan, the context of it. Um, and Kirpan is a daily reminder to us to say, you have a moral duty to stand up, you know, to protect yourself and to protect others. Um, and it's that mercy aspect that, that balances you out to understand that you're not using it to scare people or do what typically people would do with a weapon, is to you know, take advantage of people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I think it almost feel that Siki is, the, the, we would probably not be the best at marketing um, ourselves. Um, and I think that's why there's a lot of US um, groups out there who have been doing a much, much more um, concerted effort over the last few years. I think Sikh Coalition is one of those organizations have been doing these marketing campaigns because in America, unfortunately, there's been a lot of these cases since 9-11 um, and they continue to happen, but it's the education piece that's missing. So people who get it, they get it because they've either met a Sikh or they've had to sort of read about it, but others, they don't really know. They, they, they literally just don't know who, who they are or what they represent and they just go by face value and and um, discriminate um, based on your looks, which is a turban and a beard, which unfortunately is um, associated to, you know, the, the, the typical thought that everyone thinks is the, the suicide bomber or such. But my analogy is always like, we couldn't be far from that. We couldn't be far from that because almost a suicide bomber is using that as a technique to cause mass destruction and giving their life for it. Whereas we're at the opposite scale of it. We're willing to give our life to protect the most amount of people that we're able to protect. Just like that situation you talked of, that one person took that action to protect many more than themselves. So you know, there's a bit of education piece there for people out there. Absolutely. So, um... On the lighter side, do you have a favorite episode of your podcast, like one you really enjoyed making or are especially proud of? Um, I think I've been quite lucky to have really good guests and every topic has been different and every organization has been different. So um, I've kind of, I kind of try to create a non-judgmental space. Um, so I, I veer off the path of 
typical religious discourses because you know people everyone has their own opinions on that stuff i focus on the bits around what are people out there doing to help the community so the south asian community don't really focus much on mental health nor the language really helps to talk about it because there's very limited languages in the punjabi uh, language to talk about mental health there's a couple of efforts being done over the last year or so to decipher that but they would just you know turn around and say people are, are mad that's the alternative you know, rather than understanding what mental health is what it means what different needs of it so i think having been able to have mental health organizations on there it's been really great to sort of sort of dampen the the the, the thing the, the the thing that stops people from normalizing these conversations so it's almost like normalizing that um into the day-to-day conversation that people can have and relate to was really good and one around domestic violence as well i think a lot of people in a number of communities uh, women suffer because of violent partners or taking domestic violence so i've seen that firsthand growing up seeing my mother experience that so for me that was what that was a chosen topic so i think that the the, the good thing about podcasting is not about favorites it's about i get to reach out and choose topics that might resonate with me but i definitely know that they, they need to be talked more of and then give that platform um, to do that so i think being podcasters and you might you probably resonate with this as well it's a learning exercise for us as much as we're asking questions to the guests because um they you are learning on that interview and and they're giving you the insights and you're able to sort of articulate questions that your guests might want to ask um but also questions that you have a burning desire to ask them as well absolutely so um in what ways did you use prayer in your faith as a Sikhi? And um, do you have any prayers you want to share with our audience today? So I think um, my journey to Sikhi, um, so I, even though I was born in a, a Sikh family, I didn't understand um, the Sikh faith. It was kind of like one of those things when you're born in an household, you, you don't you don't really engage with it because it's just there. You tend the Gurdwara, you tend the prayers. Unless somebody in your family is very into it and they understand it, they can explain it to you. But unfortunately, mine was like many others. They just knew just the things that they did was the things they did and a very limited um, experience of the understanding of Sikhi. So when um, I grew older, I used to, I kind of adopted the faith for my purpose when I was in my 20s, late in the, in the latter parts of my university study. I started to research, started to understand for myself what it was all about. And I had to go through that learning curve of going beyond what was just there as face value and go to the scriptures themselves, understand and learn the language again properly and decide for the messages. And for me, prayer has changed uh, a lot. So what I started off was thinking prayer was me doing five sets of prayers a day and keeping that as a routine. I didn't really understand the prayers, just hoping that they would do something, you know, like it's a, it's a thing. Um, to then start to take a step back away. And the way I did it was, right, so the Guru Granth Sahib Ji is like 1430 or 30 pages, it's a volume, it's a big volume, right? And so just as we go to university or any educational institute, our lecturers aren't going to say, you must know this from day one. <laughs> so just read it, <laughs> you'll get it. It's kind of bite-sized, compartmentalized learning. 
case studies and referencing and discussions and debate. And it's meant to be something that, you know, you digest at your pace and really understand it and articulate it and discuss it. And different parts of your life is going to be different because that message will resonate at different stages. So for me, practicing my prayers nowadays is more about really understanding what this one line means or what does this one Shabbat mean? Shabbat is like a hymn, so there's a theme. And there's even the, the beauty of um, the Sikh scriptures is it actually has pause. It has the word pause, Rahal, in nearly all, all the Shabbats. And like um, that means stop, contemplate, think before you go ahead. But culturally, as a community, we're like, we carry on, we carry on, we carry on, we carry on, we carry on. <laughs> like we've got to read this all within an hour. So I think for more is me being reflective. But I think the one thing I would share with um, listeners is like there's one line um, in our daily prayers, which is called, which, which says, Duk daru suk And duk means pain and daru means medicine. Um, so the old, old school form of like daru can mean alcohol but in this perspective it means like medicinal use of that so most out most medicines were based on alcohol basis so it says dok daru which means pain is your medicine right and then the second part says suk rog bear suk means pleasure um happiness rog rog means disease that basically your pains are your medicine and your pleasures are your pain. And it probably blows your mind. They said, why would the guru say that? You know, it's, isn't it meant to be the opposite? We're praying for like pleasure all the time, for good times, for positivity. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is the, the deciphering of that means that without resilience in your life, you will not become stronger. You will become weaker. So the more pleasures you have, the more comforts you have, when those pleasures and comforts are taken away, you are in pain because you've got dependent on these pleasures. There's almost like uh, a bit of gratitude, a bit of humbleness, living a humble life. So I, if you wanna, so I always try to relate this to a real life situation on a daily basis. If I go to have a shower and the water, the, 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 the boiler breaks and the water's cold, I'm used to nice warm showers every morning. And suddenly I've got cold water. I'm gonna be distressed. How am I supposed to get on with my day? I can't have my hot shower for the day. I can't go in a cold shower and, and appreciate that. So if you're if you're taking that as face value, if you're taking a cold shower every now and then, which is actually really beneficial for your health, you get used to that. You don't get used to the hot, but you appreciate the cold showers as well. So suddenly my boiler breaks tomorrow. I'm like, ah, fine. It's a cold shower day. It doesn't change me. I carry on. It's made me more resilient. So even just taking that one line, you can apply that in so many instances that everything, maybe having a car, you know, it's a pleasure. That means we walk less, so our health suffers. Like how many applications of that one line in that scripture is applicable to life? And it's like, I read somewhere, somewhere, uh, it's probably on social media, it says basically, if there was no wind, all the trees would rake. And because the wind strengthens the, the trees, the roots, Without resistance, the tree cannot be strong and sturdy and last as long as it can and bear fruit. So just as we are, we are a tree, we need resistance in our life. And I think life will throw curveballs at you. That resistance we can't control, it's out of our control. 
but there's another set of resistance that we can control. So for example, you are studying in university, it's not easy, it's a difficult thing, but you choose to commit to it. You know, you do your study, you follow the program, after two, three years, you've gained the knowledge, you've progressed. Others may think, oh, I wanna play games and watch Netflix all the time. That's the opportunity cost, isn't it? So what they gained, they watch Netflix, but they haven't done the other thing. So it's what do you choose in life? Choose your own resistance because there's an element of that and you can be the owner of that. And then the, the, the more conscious you are of owning your own resistance, you are then more ready to take on life's resistance when it turns out it's you in the face. That's probably the one, one sort of example of a prayer that I would want to share. Is there anything else you would like to talk about on the show today? Um, I suppose it's, what is your feeling from having conversations with many people in different faiths and, 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 and thoughts on, you know, what are the similarities that you see um, through guests and conversations? Because I always, I'm part of an interfaith um, discussion group um, and we bring together many people in different faiths together regular basis to talk about things like conflict what does it mean what does your scripture say what do you mean and what i always see is that there's more in common that bring us together but what society does it focuses on the things that divide us and that's what kind of sticks in people's brains so what is your experience of conversations i mean i have to agree when you were talking about um pain is your medicine pleasure is your disease. It reminded me of uh, Tendikyo principles. It's sort of similar and it talks about um, this metaphor of carrying a bundle of logs on your back, giving you balance. But really it's like if you had a life that was easy and didn't give you any troubles, you would behave recklessly and you might not be that good of a person because you never learned to appreciate anything you know you just took the world as it was and never realized you were fortunate you know and that's sort of like um, their response to people with chronic illnesses is that it's a part of life but you learn how to manage it day by day so it really reminded me of that and there is a lot of um, overlap between different religions because a lot of them have an emphasis on community and helping people out like uh Sarvasti Abbey which is Buddhist they were guests on my show and they're a co-ed monastery and they uh, have prison dharma so they go into prisons and uh, teach the dharma to people who want to hear that and they help prisoners get back on the right track once they're released from prison and they also provide um, shelter to people who need it, especially um, young people who may be displaced for various reasons. Or um, there's another place near me. Actually, one of my earliest guests was a, a rabbi who helps guard a mosque while wow. the people are praying in there to make sure everyone stays safe. So. I mean, to me, that's what stands out the most, though, even though they might have different beliefs, you're still a person and you still have feelings and there's still more in common than there is that's different. Like, Yes. Yeah, 100%. I think I agree with that. There's more, 
there's so much we have in common because first we are humans then we are our faith you see what i mean like that comes second because we all we all born we all have to face the same troubles getting growing up you know there as being a parent now i suppose it's it's more it's more like for me i'm always looking at ways to break the cycle so if there's things that um you know, through my family lineage that we've consistently, I can see the pattern going back that we've made mistakes or certain things that we are more susceptible to. I want to be the, the chain breaker because I want to give my son a fresh view of that and let him navigate life or, you know, give him the chances to become resilient rather than trying to control so much around him, um, letting him be free of thought, letting him ask me challenging questions rather than shutting him down because I don't know them. You know, the opposite view of uh, people who are maybe insecure and they don't know the answers is always, you know, you're too young to ask that question. Or who do you think you are? I think there's always a different path you can take, which is, right, let's investigate the answers. Let's do it together. Let's see what the main thoughts are. And let's, and let's have a healthy discussion. And I think this is the big thing that's typically miss, missing in society. We're too busy convincing other people from right and wrong rather than saying, actually, can we just have a debate about this, like a very neutral debate, um, and see what the pros and cons are? And we can be bygones, be bygones, because we might not ever decide on that, but we might actually get 50% of the way because you agree that this is that, and then the rest is like you'll feel still 50% further than you were um, by being 100% completely divided. Well, I think um, there is there is something about, um, I truly believe that religion is a, is a framework. It's a framework in the absence of um, a rigorous structure in society. Um, whereas we live in a world now which is changing and evolving. Government structures, policies are evolved so advanced. And, you know, in the days when religion was set up, um, there needs to be a framework which is able to bring masses to do goodness in the world, to alleviate. The negatives because we will always have this ongoing battle with yin yang we need it it's like uh, there's another there's another uh, a line in our prayers that we do every evening and it says you know that we are in this constant play of day and night um and the day and night means you know to appreciate night you have to have daylight to appreciate daylight you have to have night to appreciate pleasure you've got to have pain if you have pain your pleasure so you will never be absent of the opposite. So a utopia where people feel that we will ever get to a utopia where everything is, is hunky-dory would be boring because we won't like it because <laughs> there will be nothing to, no motivation for you to go and do positive things because that isn't there. So it's a, it's a natural phenomenon, but you want to tip the scale to more positivity than negativity. And in certain instances, you're going to need more of that. And I feel like um, messengers of, faith bring that to society at the right at the relevant times and i think um it's the core essence that we should we should focus on because the world changes but there's core essences about goodness and humanity looking after each other treating each other as human beings non-discrimination um, equality and fairness are stuff that we all we all resonate with every single path that we follow Absolutely. Thank you again for being on the show today. Brilliant. No, it's been a pleasure, pleasure being on this um, podcast and I wish you, wish you only um, 
going from strength to strength with this. And um, yeah, well done, because I know there's a lot of work that goes into the background of creating a podcast, getting it running and doing it on top of day jobs. And you're, you're obviously studying university, which is takes up a lot of time and resource. So um, uh, hats off to you as well, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. The Seat Coach can be streamed on iTunes and several other major podcast streaming services. If you would like to learn more about Sikhism, the Guru Granth Sahib is a major holy text for practicing Sikhs and can be found easily online with English translations for free. I will link it in the description of this episode.